1: This is Writing Excuses, episode 18, question and answers from the audience.
2: 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we've got a special guest, Dan Willis, um, with us today. Dan, tell us what you do.
0: I write Dragonlance books for young adults and for regular adults. Great.
2: Okay. You gonna start Let's do it. We're going to get to some question and answers. We're here at Conduit Science Fiction Convention um, here in Salt Lake, and we've got some audience members who want to ask us questions. Um, if you'll take that over to, to our friend Kenneth here, Kenneth's got a question for the group.
1: Yeah, my question is how do
0: you create distinct voices for your characters so they don't all sound the same?
2: Okay,
1: that's a great question. Um, let's uh, hit Dan with that first. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you think in funny accents while you write them. Okay, that <laughs> only works for you. I know. I, I, I don't know. I how cheat I do that. in the worst way.
3: What do you do? I switch fonts. Because well, it's in the comic strip. I just switch fonts. We can't do that. Okay. I um, have found that for yeah. the artificial intelligences that I write, yeah. the rule is no conjunctions.
2: No conjunctions?
3: No, no and? No, no, uh, not conjunctions. Contractions. Uh, contractions. Okay. So those are those things.
2: Contractions is the old um, the old standby, the old trick in the book, uh, the oldest trick in the book for, for doing accents and dialogue. Um, I think that that's a place to start. It's not the place to end. Um, for me... Um, I think that the voice of the character should be an extrapolation of the narrative voice. Um, if you're writing third person limited, that means how, what the character is going to talk about and what they're going to ask questions about should be related to what they're seeing and what they're noting in the environment and the world around them. And so you make it them distinct by having them ask questions or notice things other people wouldn't. Um, the way yeah. they talk should be an outgrowth of their personality. And it doesn't mean you have to use even different, you know, the, the, the old tricks are things like not using contractions or using big words for someone who's, who's smart. But those things tend to get a little bit, um, I'm not going to say old, but they're, they're used a lot. I think it's a better characterization if you can have what they're asking about, what they're interested about, be their voice. Dan, you got anything?
0: Well, I know uh, when I set out to write uh, a group of characters, I usually go and do their their backstory, who they are, what they've mm-hmm. experienced, how they got to where they are. And that yeah. usually tells me what their voice is going to be because I know what they've experienced, and they've all become. in you just sit down, you got eight characters, you're going to start writing them. They're all kind of one unit character. Yeah. But as you, if you sit down and break them out and get to know them individually, by the time you get ready to write, they are individuals. Okay. In watching
3: mm-hmm. uh, some of the uh, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I remember uh, Joss Whedon saying that they'd written a scene and some of the dialogue, there was a punchline in the dialogue, and Joss came by and looked at the dialogue that had been written, and he said, that, this line, you've got Willow delivering this line. This is a Xander line. And they said, well, we can't have Xander deliver the line because he's not in the scene. And Joss says, well, then put Xander in the scene <laughs> or throw away the line because you've written Xander's dialogue. Um, he didn't explain how they did it. But there comes a point for most writers, and I, sadly, I think you know, in spite of the contractions and the long word tricks, that they I work. still they work. They're I, I still, in spite of using those tricks, I have found myself not thinking about voice for the characters because the characters are already voices in my head, and I know what they're going to say and the way they're going to say them. And I find myself uh, scooting out of that trap from time to time. I need a punchline. Here's the punchline, and then I look at it coming out of that character's mouth, and. That's not right. That's not what he'd say. All right, I need to write the
2: rewrite the scene so that the right person is there. Um, I find that for me, one thing, one way to practice this is actually to do screenwriting. Practice some screenwriting where and not allow yourself dialogue tags. Try and write a scene using only um, people's dialogue. Uh, stop waving at me. <laughs> um, using only people's dialogue so that. W- Try and get across who they are without telling us who they are. Now, you don't want to do yeah. that in your actual writing, particularly if there's three characters in a scene. But if you can practice that, if you can make yeah. their voice sound like them. Um, when I do this, I in, in my latest series, I had to... Right. I wanted to write someone who was intelligent, and I didn't want to just simply do the, um, the contractions thing, though I did like the contractions thing, and I didn't just want to do the big words thing. I thought, what is this character going to notice? If they're a scholar, they might be very detail-oriented, they might ask the questions about details, and sometimes this character's personality missed the larger scope. Someone else gets cuts right to the chase and hits the larger scope, and so the way they talk, the way they interact with the others focuses on that.
1: Um, What I think this is all coming down to, the simple answer to your question, is know your characters really well. mm, The better you know them, the better you'll know how they think and how they react, and that will inform how they talk. Yeah. You could also try writing an extended first-person narrative from each of them and try
2: and get their voices down. Um, Let's move on to the next question then. Uh, Kaylin, you've got a question for us.
1: I was just wondering, um, what do you do when you are having a hard time finishing your story?
2: Okay hard time finishing your story. You've gotten three quarters of the way through and you don't know how to end it. What's the Neil Gaiman anecdote?
3: I don't know. Who who shared it? Was that you sharing it?
1: It was just like two podcasts ago, though. We can't
2: repeat it
3: now. So we won't repeat that. Um, The the point is a lot of people suffer. A lot of people suffer from this problem. They get to, you know, three quarters of the way through the book. They look at what they've written. They think, this is awful. It's the worst book I've ever written. And the Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. anecdote is he calls his agent about, which book was it? Was it, an it was The Nazi Boys, Boys, but he's done Nancy it Boys. for every book. Yeah, he his calls agent. his agent and says, this is awful. And his agent says, okay, Neil, you've called me on every book at this point and said, it's awful. I can't finish. And then you slog through to the end and finish. They turn out fine. Get back to work. And so answer number one is get back to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. And often you reach that point. It's like it's like a runner three quarters of the way through the race. This is the point where you have to start
2: taking deep breaths that hurt. And I think it has to do with, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, whether you're a discovery writer, whether you're an outliner, and where on that kind of continuum you are. Um, if you're a discovery writer then you may probably won't know your ending when you start and you have to probably try a few bad endings before you figure out the one you want to do. And you, that can be tragic. You can look at it and say, man, I've done all this work and you know this this Brandon Joker can just write straight through and have his ending. Well that's, the thing is I've spent several months plotting before I actually do that. It, it ends up being this probably about the same amount of
1: time. You may have to try a few bad endings and see what you like and see what you don't. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh... For some people, as well, the problem might just stem from you have too many ideas. And so you've got this one idea, but you've been tied to it for months because you're writing a whole book about this. But you already have ideas, you know, B, C, D, E, and F in your head and you want to get onto those books and you don't have time to finish this dumb one that won't end. And uh, you really have to change the way you think. You have to be able to see it all the way through. And uh, I think you have to make sure to make yourself excited about what you're writing. Because the new thing is always going to be exciting. The other book idea you have in your head is, is, of course, that's exciting because it's brand new. And you have to remind yourself why the one you're still working on is cool. And that will get you excited to finish it.
0: For me, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Nazi outliner. I'll do an 80-page outline for a 75,000-word book. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is, is I usually start with the ending anyway. Uh-huh. I get a, a cool beginning and a cool ending, and then I have to f- figure out what to do in the middle. Mm. So, but, uh, but usually by the time I start sitting down to write chapter one, I've got a fully fleshed out outline of what it's going to be. So.
2: And I usually, I usually start with my endings too, so that's not as much help to you. Yeah. <laughs> She's scowling at me. Kaylin's um, in my writing group, so she knows that I'm like that. Um, but yeah, I usually, I usually have the ending done. There are times when I haven't had the ending before, um, most notably for, the, for Alcatraz. And in that case, um, I just was free writing, and I had to get to the ending and actually throw it away and write a new one. Uh, just because what I wrote was dopey, and then I thought, oh, but this would be cool, and it was. It was making fun of Harry Potter, so yeah. that's you always know, good.
1: I have yet to write a book that I have not rewritten the ending twice. I think three times is is the minimum for me writing an, an ending. Luxury. For one of my books. <laughs> <laughs> Luxury. <laughs>
3: I write them. I'm illustrating them usually that day or the day after. They go up on the web a month later. I have. Oh, luxury! This rewriting your endings. The book that I'm working on right now, um, I'm trying to remember what the current storyline is called and I can't remember it. Um, I have no idea how it's going to end. There, I've confessed it to the readers who are reading the beginning of it right now. Mm -hmm. I say no idea. I know what the conflict is, I know who the principal players are, I know how they are going to act, uh, I know the sorts of decisions they're going to make, good and bad. And I know that the first rule of the Schlock mercenary universe is there must always be a punchline. So it's going to be funny. It's going to be upbeat. Um, it's probably going to be violent. <laughs> I can weave that into a good ending uh, and <laughs> pull it out of my hat if I have
0: to. I, I will now give away Howard's ending. Sergeant Schlock, shoots somebody. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> well,
3: the, the, the joke on the forums is Schlock eats it. And I've I've used that.
2: <laughs> this week's writing excuses book of the week is my book, uh, Mistborn Two is now out in paperback, uh, and Mistborn One just got re-released in a special $4.99 edition with a brand new gorgeous cover. Find them both in bookstores anywhere. Okay, <laughs> um, let's go on to the next question. Scott, you had a question. You want to rush on up here, and here we go. one of our mics is doing double duty. So, Thank
0: you. hey, this is kind of related to the last one because uh, my question was about middles. Um, The way I write, I usually know where I'm headed, Mm -hmm. but I often find myself bogged down, and now I don't know how to get from here to there. Okay. And do you have any tricks or anything that you guys like to do to jumpstart Act
2: two. How do you write act two of a three-act format? Howard, you're the expert on three-act format.
3: I am? Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Act two begins with the protagonist uh, eagerly engaged in solving the problem that he set out to solve in act one. And then at some point mid-act two, the problem gets bigger. There is a a plot twist. He must discover that what he set out to do is not what, in fact, needs to be done. That general concept, okay, it's a rule. Rules were made to be broken, obviously. But that general concept has held me in good stead. When I find I I am bogged down, it is because he is too close to solving the original problem
2: and the new problem hasn't manifest itself in an ugly enough way yet. Or you haven't had things get worse. Um, Act 2 is where things get worse. Act 2 is where um, unexpected problems um, hit hit the characters. If you're having trouble in the middle, it may be just that there's not enough going on to keep you interested, and I know how this goes, because that's how I am, too. The beginning, I think through a lot, and I've got this wonderful beginning. And my endings, I usually start with um, having my endings in my head. I've got this brilliant ending I want to get to, and then how do I push myself through the center? And when things are bogged down, it's usually because I'm not, as, not interested enough, and I have to sit back and say, I need to make this middle as interesting as this great ending I've got coming. And yes, I need to seed foreshadowing and things for this ending, but what can I do? What conflicts can I put in to make this middle work? Which is probably why Brandon's act twos are so well-renowned for being mm. painful. Well,
3: oh. <laughs>
1: thank you. <laughs> um, what, what, one I of think. the writing concepts that, that I learned in uh, college was try-fail cycles. That mm-hmm. when you, if you, you should always try something three times, which means you're going to oh. fail the first two times you do it. And what I have found in my books is act two is a great place for the first try-fail cycle to, to, to happen. Kind of like Howard was saying, you know, the main character is trying to solve the problem. Go ahead and pretend like you, this is the climax of the book. They think they're right there, and they're going to solve it, and then it fails. And, and you and want them to do, do something can't.
2: smart and, and clever or something to the best of their abilities. You don't want this to be just a throwaway. Mm-hmm. You want yeah. them to do something. The things the reader is thinking, this is what needs to happen, and then it doesn't work. Um, and that makes for a, go good, back, a that's great, great run, conflict and uh, very dark and why
1: it didn't work and what they can do the next time around. Yeah. Dan, number two. I'm
0: kind of a fan of, uh, what's called the, the three disaster structure okay. where, uh, uh, the, the, well, the three act structure, usually you get what's called a second act slump. If you do screenwriting, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what a second act slump is. What a three disaster structure is, is you have your, your first disaster, which is the break between the first and second act. You have a second disaster dead center in the second act. The third starts the third act and then you have your, your resolution. Uh, the idea there is just blow something up right in the middle of the second act. Uh, something really nasty and really messy yeah. because that will keep you from having that. And that's what the problem that you're running into is the second act slump. You're getting bored. Yeah. And when you're bored, your readers are going to get bored. Yeah. That, that's a good... tell if you're going to phone it in.
3: That's a good point. If you've reached that point, you're slogging through the second act and you're bored, blow stuff up.
2: <laughs> <That
1: doesn't laughs>
2: work. Who, Who put a bomb romance? in the coffee
3: shop? What does this have to do with the story? I don't know. Blow up the coffee shop and then write your way around that
2: nope. and figure out the why it happened. The stuff
0: in a Regency romance is when the love interest comes in with another girl okay. <laughs> to the coffee shop. That's, that's, that's yeah. blowing something up. Yeah.
2: And if we talk about um, the act, three act format or this format or that thing. And I, I really want to come back to what Howard said, which is rules are meant to be broken. Um, Archetypes and plot archetypes, fram- frameworks, they're there as tools to be used. Um, I, I kind of get on edge when people talk too much about the formula, because you've got to be free. You've got to be loose. But you can have things—you want things to go wrong. It's yeah. not a story if stuff isn't going wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, make, make more conflict. Did you have something there? I was—nope. Okay. I don't. Nope. All right. Think... We're going to go to a question from, the, um, from email. Okay. And we'll end the podcast with this one. It's a quick one, but James writes and says, right now I'm having, um, I'm having trouble naming my characters, especially the main character. Tried a number of techniques, but everything I come up with just awful. Um, so how do you name characters? How do you do it?
1: You know, the, the funniest uh, answer I got to this question was my brother, who's also a writer. And he said that uh, he gets all his character names from his spam emails. <laughs> When he needs to name a character, he goes into his spam filter and, you know, has one from Oingo McAngus. And, okay, that's a great name, and throws it in there. So you probably can't use a lot of those names straight off the rack, but uh, it gives you a lot of good starting places. The
0: problem is there's a lot of people who are really agonized over yeah. naming. And especially, the, the weird part is usually you come up with a name for your main character pretty quickly because you, you, you become familiar with him and you're pre-writing mm-hmm. your idea phase. And I've, you see people agonize over a secondary character. Grab a phone book. Flip it open. Put your finger on a name. Slide down until there's one that's really interesting. Rearrange the letters and get on with your life.
3: Yeah, I look around my desk and find a two-syllable object on my desk, spell it out, and start anagramming until I have... And I, typically I use that for space stations, planets, whatever, things that do not have people names. did you
2: name one after the Democratic Party or
3: something? I did at one point, and then I changed some of the letters because I didn't want it to appear with simple word substitution as a one-to-one mapping, because it
2: wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do something a little bit different. Um, I pull out my atlas, uh, my big world atlas, and I pick a name, a, 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 a language flavor for a given country in a fantasy novel I'm working on. And I say, okay, the language flavor, the seed I'm using is this country. And I'll pick a country, whether it's Togo in Africa, or whether it's you know, it, it's, it's Austria or something like this. And I'll look and see, what are the names of the cities? Um, and then I'll go and say, okay, what are the names of some famous people? What are baby names that people are naming in those countries? And I'll say, those are my seeds. What are the patterns of letter arrangements? What are the patterns of sounds? And I will start then building my names off of those countries and those dialects. And that way, um, in a given fantasy epic, we'll have characters that will all have similar-sounding names. Um, And that's one of the main ones I use. That method seems a lot smarter than mine. (laughs) A lot. Either that or you're more productive than the spam filter method, too. Um, Orson Scott Card has a great essay about um, naming on his website, and we'll probably try to link that in the liner notes. Um, But we're out of time for this podcast. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Writing Excuses. Uh, hey. But what do you want you <laughs> I
1: am recording <laughs> This is, that's the new Chickabow. It's going at the end?
3: <laughs> oh Chick-a-Bow. Okay. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry, we're not that smart, and Howard's just been damned.
1: <laughs> Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants.